All right. Good morning again. Um, just a quick announcement before we begin. Bulletins are in the back. Sermon notes are on the back. Uh, they're on the back table back there. Uh, we are going through a lengthy portion of Scripture today, so hopefully this helps you to kind of keep track in your mind of where we're going. Uh, and then also, if you are new here with us today, uh, we'd love to get a chance to know you. Uh, we have these Connect cards you can fill out, leave in the seat, put in the offering plate when you walk out. Uh, that's just one announcement that I'd like to put in your ear before we go. Um, but bulletins in the back if you so desire one. We'll have information on the screen to help you follow along as well. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to open up to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 14 through 21 this morning. Matthew chapter 6 verses 14 through 21. It says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up your treasures, yourselves treasures in, heavens, in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I just want to start this morning by letting you know that as a pastor of this church, it is my deepest desire that we are people that are constantly and consistently challenged and changed by Jesus, his spirit, and his word. And as we're challenged and changed, that this would foster within us a deep humility that we would become a church that delights in the wonder, the beauty, the authenticity even, the authority of Jesus. That we grow in the knowledge of him, that we delight in him, we seek to be led by him and his spirit, and that we do the work of his kingdom now. So as we read this passage this morning, you might have had this thought, and I need you to know that I know this, okay? Fasting and Jesus' teaching on it is not on the short list of sermons that people are going to sign up to hear, right? This passage about fasting is not the one that is going to make the top 10 list of a podcast. It's not the sermon that a pastor is going to come up and preach if they want to have a big following within a church. It's just simply not one. I mean, it seems to be a cut and dry passage, right? So I need you to know that I know this. But however, I believe that this text can accomplish our goal that this text can challenge and change us, that it can help us to delight in him and make it on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> Sunday after Sunday, people go to a church looking for motivation, inspiration, transformation, and this might be you this morning. You might be looking for this thing, these things, and you might be thinking, fasting? Really, John, we're talking about fasting? Like Alan Iverson asking about practice. Practice, we're talking about practice, right? We're talking about fasting, like, I need something that's going to challenge me, motivate me. My marriage is falling apart. My life is in shams. My faith is struggling. And this sermon is on fasting. 
You might be here this morning and you want a bold charge about the ills of our society and culture. We should fight to take it back. So here's my encouragement to you this morning as we unpack this passage. Jesus' teaching on fasting is in the Sermon on the Mount for a reason. This is the longest recorded teaching of Jesus uninterrupted that we have. And this passage on fasting is here for a reason. It's not just meant for a culture that has long passed. It is meant for us today. Jesus sees fasting as a vital element to those seeking to live in the kingdom of God and those seeking to push and promote the kingdom of God. So if you're here this morning and you're wanting a bold charge for our society and culture, or you want motivation, inspiration, or personal transformation, I believe this text does it. Maybe not in the ways we want, maybe not in the ways we expect, but in the ways that challenge and shape us as disciples of Jesus within his kingdom. So to help us kind of orient our minds this morning, uh, the practice, we're going to look at the practice of fasting, the purpose of fasting, and the promise of fasting. I went real preachery this week. The practice, purpose, and promise of fasting. Now this passage, again, it seems cut and dry. We read it, we get the application. If you choose to fast, don't act all gloomy. Butter yourself up and move on with life. But the idea of fasting is not lost on us as Christians. But I would say that the regular rhythm and routine to practice fasting is. The idea of fasting is not lost on us. I grew up in a church that talked about fasting. But the regular rhythm and routine of fasting, I believe, has been lost for us. We might think of fasting normally and associate it with Lent, that that's a practice reserved for those Catholics, but as Baptists, <laughs> we live under grace, no need to practice Lent or fasting. As a kid one day, I thought of fasting as a way, like a choice to enhance my prayers. So one day I thought, you know, I need to be a little more athletic, I need to be a little taller, a little stronger, hit the golf ball further. So I decided that I was going to fast from Dr. Pepper for a day so that the Lord would hear my prayer. And obviously, I mean, he answered it, but... The way that we look at fasting as a culture today is we, we choose to th- choose things that we do or do not fast from. Like We might choose to fast from TV for a week or a period of time. We might choose to fast from a certain vice that follows us around. We might choose to fast from a meal for a day. But the scriptures are very clear that fasting is not necessarily only just a thing that we choose, but it is food daily that we choose to fast from. Scripture is also clear that it's not just reserved for special times in the year from specific things, but rather fasting was a rhythm of life to abstain from food. We we all know people in our lives that are deeply involved in their craft. You know those people that are just like really skilled and gifted in who they are and in what they do. Even if you're not interested in their subject field, you can watch them and you're just inspired by them, right? I mean, it's incredible to watch them work. Their knowledge has a way of cutting through the noise and worries that our minds, who aren't as skilled, often run to. This past Wednesday, we were playing a little friendly game of volleyball. And guy goes up for a spike, crashes his hand into the net, and his hand, his fingers cut so bad that you could see the tendon in it. Now, I would naturally, like, pass out if that happened to me, or I'd immediately run to urgent care. What does guy do? Guy wraps it, plays on. Then later, I texted him the other day and asked him how it was going, and then he sent me this picture. That's him and Wesley sewing his own finger. Like, Guy has a skill to do this. It's incredible to watch, is it not? Like, the means to be able to go in and sew your own finger together. 
That's pretty remarkable. We have other people in our church that are like this, that have an incredible skill. I don't know if you, some of you attended the Old Testament seminar when Terry Isles came and spoke about the Hebrew Scriptures. It was fascinating to hear him speak, right? Because he had such a love and a deep knowledge of the Scriptures and a joy for it that his joy translated to us. You talk to Jared Price about lawyering. I, don't, I can't tell you how many times that Jared has gotten me out of a mental jam for our church or our school just because he knows about it. Talk to Lauren Johnson about being a nurse practitioner. The other day I texted her because Russell had this little rash that was growing and we didn't know what to do. We were kind of freaking out about it. So I texted Lauren about it and she knows immediately what we should do, what to give him, how we should respond because she has a joy and a passion for what it is. Maybe you know these people in your life uh, that are certain Christians in your life that just have a wonderful, deep, abiding knowledge and love for the Word. They love the Word, and they love other people well. You know who I think of in that moment? I think of Brother Charles. Brother Charles, when did you stop pastoring here, Brother Charles? What year was it? I don't remember. Well, it's over in the hall. It was in the 90s? 99. 99. And you pastored for 17 years here? 18 and a half years here. Now, he formally stopped pastoring in 1999, but you know what this man still does to do? Do, do today? He's still pastoring people that were a part of this church. He still visits people. He still goes to pray with them. We still get calls at the church looking for Brother Charles. We got a call today. I gave him your number uh, this past week. I hope that's okay. There are people that are deeply connected with Brother Charles because he has a deep love for people. He has a deep love for God's word. Now, what do all of these instances have in common with God and Jared and Lauren and Brother Charles? Did they just wake up one day and arrive at this spiritual high place or this ability to do these things? No. They practiced these habits and these disciplines in their lives over and over and over again. When we look at the scriptures, spiritual disciplines are there to help sanctify us by his grace, and change us more to be like him. These spiritual disciplines are here to help grow us into people of maturity and faith. And this is where we can often get the rub wrong a little bit. We do a really great job of preaching justification by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. That in an instant you are changed. You are saved in Christ Jesus. But sometimes we do maybe a weaker job of preaching the sanctification process of being changed by Jesus, by his spirit. And one way that we do this is by the spiritual disciplines of the faith that change, mold, and shape us. Just in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, let's look at a few ways that he's outlined spiritual disciplines. He's outlined confession for us. Don't go to the altar and pray. If you have something that's, your brother has something against you, go and make it right with him. He calls for a life of simplicity, submission, service. Just in this chapter, he's called for almsgiving, prayer, and now fasting. Spiritual disciplines are rhythms and routines we practice as believers to humble ourselves, loving God, and loving others. And you'll notice, we do this every week at the church. Every week we come in, we worship, we have prayer together, we study God's word, we give, we take in communion. But you know what's often absent from our encouragement of spiritual discipline from our church? It's fasting. Now, you might be in a regular rhythm and routine of fasting in your life, and man, I commend you. I look up to you. But fasting has been one of those spiritual disciplines. The practice of fasting has been one that we've lost as a church. 
So the next question here is on the practice of fasting, should we fast today? Notice what Jesus says in verse 16, and when you fast, there is an assumption here from Jesus that fasting is a normal recurring practice. He doesn't say if you fast, but rather when you fast. So to better understand fasting, let's try and reset what we think. Uh, because it's not always what we think, like a little 14-year-old going to fast from Dr. Pepper to get to become a better athlete. So what we're going to do this morning, after the practice of fasting, we're going to look at the purpose of fasting. We're going to look at all of the scriptural examples of fasting in the scriptures. If we were to poll the room this morning on the reasons for fasting, why we'd fast, we would most likely tip the scales in favor for fasting and preparation for something. Fasting is a part of prayer for something that's coming up. Maybe it's a big job change or a life change, a season in life that's coming up. For churches, they might call a fast because it's associated with a new building project or something like that. You may have seen Jeff Powell, the superintendent of Rapids Parish Schools. On Facebook, on the news recently, he's called for a week-long fast to pray for the schools. Fasting, in our minds, is usually associated with something that's coming. It's a way maybe of supercharging our prayers in a bit. And we do see this example in Scripture, but that's not the only example that we see. You see, no one passage in Scripture gives us all the instructions on fasting and why we should fast. So we'll look at them collectively as a whole. The first reason that we see scripturally under the law of Moses, fasting was only commanded on the day of atonement. On one day, the Mosaic law commanded a fast, and it was on the Day of Atonement. I, don't, I think I accidentally left this scripture off the screen, but I'll read it for you. It's Leviticus 23, uh, verses 28 through 32. It says this, On that day, do not do any work on that day, because it is the Day of Atonement. When atonement is made for you before the Lord your God, those who do not deny themselves on that day must be cut off from their people. I will destroy you from among their people anyone who does any work on that day. You shall do no work at all. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. It is a day of Sabbath rest for you, and you must deny yourselves. On this day, this day of atonement, it was a command from the Mosaic law to fast. But we also see other instances of fasting. The first one that we see on your note here is fasting as supplication. You might remember the story of Esther. She has the people fast for three days before she approaches the king to make a request before him. It was against the law for her to approach the king in the way that she was. She was going to prepare a banquet for him and eventually intercede for her people. But she has the people fast for three days before him. We see a fasting as supplication for Ezra. He commands a fast for protection. Please protect us. You see, Jehoshaphat, he sets his face towards the Lord and proclaims a fast over all of Judah for supplication for protection. Are those prayers for fasting, supplication answered? Yeah. But do we have any instances where it's not answered? Probably one of the more heartbreaking scenes comes from the story of David. You'll remember a few Sundays ago, we talked about the great sin of David and how he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. And he's told that his son that Bathsheba has is going to die. So look at David's response here in 2 Samuel 12, verses 15 through 17. It says this, After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. 
He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. One purpose of fasting and a good purpose of fasting is a prayer of intercession and supplication for the Lord where we humble ourselves before the Lord and pray for his will to be made known and done in our lives. The second act of fasting we see is fasting as an act of worship. Acts 13, 1 through 3. I think I left this off too. I think I just have it here, but I'll read it for you. You want to flip there, Acts 13, 1 through 3. It says this. Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, and Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Notice that. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Spirit comes and he says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Think about our process for nominating elders and deacons. Have we called for a fast? But it seems like this is an admonition in Scripture for us not to just prayerfully consider it, not just think about who the best man for the job is, but to humble ourselves before the Lord in fasting, in prayer, and in worship. Now, we should hold the mirror up in these cases and look at ourselves. The next, and I thought this was one of the more compelling instances of fasting, is fasting as a response to tragedy and death. Upon hearing of Jerusalem's devastation, Nehemiah, broken, prays and fasts in response to intense grief. He hears that the gates have been broken and the walls have been destroyed. What does Nehemiah do? He doesn't say, nah, it'll all get better. No, he has intense grief and he goes to fasting. David fasts after the death of Saul. It says this, they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, and for the people of the Lord, and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. In Scripture, we see that a response to tragedy and death is not just to say, ah, oh, it's okay, they're in a better place. The response at times in intense grief is accompanied by prayer and fasting. When Jacob dies, Joseph has them mourn for seven days. When Moses dies, there's another period of mourning. Have you ever thought it odd after you go to a funeral especially the funeral of a close one, you just go down to the kitchen and eat later? Like you still have this intense like ball of grief in you. Know that it's okay to fast. It's okay to humble yourselves before the Lord as a response to intense grief and tragedy. Maybe it's not been a death. Maybe it's been intense hurt and pain. You know, life, really, life has a way of hardening us, doesn't it? It has a way of making us callous. And when life gets difficult, we can easily push into the things that we have rhythmed and routine, the things that make us feel better, the things that we know. We push into comfort and distraction. We do everything we can to process or get rid of that grief. And in some ways, this has a way of hardening us. However, in Scripture, it seems that an appropriate response is not to push into our comfort, but to push into the Lord. Why is fasting a response to grief? 
Because in a way, we can run to our comfort and make us feel better. But what fasting does is it has a way of self-breaking the body. It has a way of self-humility. Over a period of time of fasting, what is your body going to do? It's going to cry out in hunger and in pain. Fasting gives us this remembrance and recognition that the Lord is sovereign, and I am not. So fasting to be a response of intense pain and grief is a form of worship. Lastly, we see fasting as a response to sin. And this is one of the more prevalent responses that we see in Scripture. Joel 2, 12 Uh, Verse 12 through 13 says this. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Think in your mind of your practice of confession. Often it seems like The practice of confession we have might be simply a prayer to forgive our sins at dinner time, and we move on, right? It's simply just a prayer, hey, Lord, forgive me. I really messed up by there. Sorry about that. Does the Lord forgive sins in that way in our prayer? Yeah. However, repentance or returning to the Lord is active. Jesus has said, go and make it right with your brother before you offer anything. Jesus says that as you've been forgiven, you forgive others. And I think Jesus is weaving all of this together here for us. It's fasting as a response to sin. And I would imagine that there are those of us in this room that have habitual repeating sins that at one point we may have felt very broken over and no longer we do because we have calloused ourselves toward those sins. Maybe it's looking at someone that we disagree with with anger, and instead of just talking it out or hashing it out, we just think of them in a bitter way. Maybe it's stuff that you look at online, and it's hard and you feel bad about it, but you've calloused yourself to a way where you just continue to habitually look at that sin. What is Jesus' recommendation for us to break yourself in fasting? Notice He says this, when you forgive others, the Lord forgives yourselves, and when you fast, there is an immediate response to fasting after sin. I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago. Um, It was uh, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. They were interviewing Tim Keller, and he was sharing a story about how he's counseling another pastor who had been um, caught in adultery, who had been caught in serious sexual sin, and it had been going on for quite some time. And this pastor was going week in and week out, committing this act of sin, and then on Sunday morning, coming up to preach. And Keller asked him, how were you able to do this? How were you able to commit the sin one week and then on Sunday stand up? And he said, well, I had this routine of knowing in myself that I was going to call it off the next week and that I was going to repent, and my repentance got me just far enough to make it to Sunday but I'd eventually fall right back into that same routine. What is a practice that we can instill? What is a spiritual discipline that we could instill within our lives that would break our routines and our habits? Fasting is a response 
It's a literal, physical breaking. Fasting brings discomfort and grief. Fasting creates within us, if we allow it, a reminder of our physical need for the Lord. Fasting makes a way for breaking our hearts, breaking our self-reliance, our need for provision of the Lord. As Joel says, rend your hearts. Now, we might just be able to say, well, that seems more like an Old Testament thing. We're in a New Testament thing. We're under grace with Jesus. But listen to the words of James, his brother. He says this, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Fasting is a physical reminder that we don't have it all together, and fasting is your body crying out to the Lord to be my daily bread, right? We see this back in the Lord's Prayer. Fasting creates us to be poor in spirit. Fasting creates us to be meek. Fasting creates us to look at the Lord in his sovereignty and in our sin and iniquity before him. And when we see ourselves rightly, we will see that we should forgive others as he has forgiven us. So if you're here this morning and you are in a season of sin, maybe there is a vice that you have. Maybe it's something that you just cannot seem to break. Scripture tells us a spiritual discipline to help change our hearts, to turn our affections back to the Lord is not just saying, I'm sorry, Father, but in repentance, turning back to him. And a part of that could be fasting. I would encourage you that it might should be fasting, that this is a spiritual discipline that we should instill within our hearts. And I think that this is exactly the case that Jesus is making within the Sermon on the Mount as a response to sin and temptation. Notice what's just happened. We've had a prayer for forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer, a prayer against temptation, and then Jesus comes right back to forgiveness. And then he says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven others. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And then you fast. And then when you fast. We've been tracing biblical themes of each portion of the Lord's Prayer, putting them back uh, into their roots, connecting them throughout Scripture. But we can look so intently that we miss the bigger picture. And Jesus is instructing the disciples to pray collectively. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Forgive one another. And we could rightly apply that one major temptation for us within the church is to withhold forgiveness from one another. That within the church here today, that we could let preferences and ideas, particular points of theology or politics become places of division, that we would harbor bitterness and anger, that we speak ill of one another, and that we don't, as Paul says, do everything in our power to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And what is the natural response to repentance and forgiveness? James says to humble ourselves, weep well and mourn. And Jesus, he turns directly to fasting. Fasting is not a show to be seen by others, but a posture before the Lord. And this is Jesus' emphasis on this sermon. To the pure in heart, to fulfill the letter of the law, to not just feel the, the letter of the law, but also the intent of the law. To not just practice giving to the needy and not just practice fasting that is seen, 
but done in a way that comes from a pure and humble heart. So we've seen the practice, the purpose, and now the promise of fasting. So we saw the natural connection of forgiveness, repentance, and restoration to fasting. The next portion uh, might be confusing. At the very last portion here, what does it say? That the Father will do what? That he'll reward us. So does this mean that if I fast rightly, uh, that the Lord will answer my prayers, and the reason that he's not answering my prayers is because I'm not fasting rightly? But notice again, what's the next transition here in the passage? It's the treasures being laid up in heaven. Let's read it again. He says, But when you wash, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we say the promise of fasting, it is not that we're earning credits in heaven for the amount of prayers or the fasts that we've committed. When we fast, what we have seen is that we humble ourselves before the Lord. And when we humble ourselves before the Lord, we do rightly by him and our reward is in heaven. That might be confusing, but let me point you to a passage in Isaiah 58 that speaks on fasting and our reward in heaven. Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 4. It says this, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you've seen it not? Why have, you humbled, why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, your fast, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? This is the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spin yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. I mean, what Isaiah is directly saying here is what we've seen in the Lord's Prayer. There is a temptation for us to oppress, to point the finger, to have malicious talking. But what pure and honest fasting is, is to do right by the Lord, and that means to do right by others. We fast to humble ourselves before the Lord, but our fasting is also accompanied with forgiveness, seeking to loose the bonds of oppression and injustice doing away with the pointing of fingers and oppression. 
providing the needs for those who are desperate. The promise of fasting is this, that it provides a good for our neighbor. When we fast rightly and we see the Lord, the promise of fasting is that we do good by our neighbor. However, there's a promise, I mean a problem with fasting. My motives are mixed. Our motives are mixed. And if we're honest with ourselves, we see that our ability to fast rightly is often impossible. Sometimes we don't loosen the bonds of oppression, but rather we tie them when we speak and do evil. Sometimes instead of seeking justice, we withhold justice. Sometimes instead of giving forgiveness, we withhold forgiveness. But Jesus, he does this rightly. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, they, and that they might be called oaks of righteousness. What's the second promise of fasting? That Jesus is our reward. That Jesus is our great treasure in heaven. That he sees us and he knows us. Notice the connection. If you've uh, been here on Wednesday nights, we've been looking at tools to read the Bible. And if you go back and reread chapter 6, you'll see this transition play out. That there are those that want to be seen by others, but the Lord sees the motives of the heart. Then with fasting, there are those that want to be seen by others, but the Lord truly sees. What's the great reward in heaven when we humble ourselves and we rest on Christ's righteousness? He sees us. He sees us for who we truly are in Christ Jesus, righteous. Listen to 1 Peter as he says this. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Your treasure, as you trust in Christ Jesus, as you humble yourself before Christ Jesus, is kept in heaven for you. So how should we rightly respond to fasting today? One, we see that true and proper fasting is good for our neighbor. That when we have true and proper fasting, it serves the needs of those who need forgiveness, who are oppressed, who are suffering injustice. But second, we see that the promise of fasting is the promise of the one who's to come in Christ Jesus. So how then should we incorporate fasting in our rhythm of spiritual disciplines? What areas of fasting are you doing now? What areas do you see that are new that you need to incorporate in your life? Maybe there is habitual sin in your life, and it would be good to have a season of fasting, maybe a, a day before the Lord, where you do nothing at all, but pray to the Lord. You'll be surprised when you fast how often our days are circled around eating, preparing food, gathering around the table. A fast is a good thing to seek and trust the Lord. Does fasting save? Absolutely not. But it humbles ourselves before the one who does. And it puts us in a position of humility and trust for the one who was and is and is to come as we cling to the hope of the cross and we pray for Jesus' return. Now, some of you in the room, 
you don't need to fast. Uh, you might be taking certain medications that don't allow for a fast. Uh, you might need to talk to your doctor about taking a fast. And maybe it's something that you need to choose to fast from instead of abstaining from food. But there are others of us in the room, I think, that it would do well for us if we committed ourselves to fasting. That if we committed ourselves to praying for our church through fasting and prayer. That if we committed ourselves to seeking the lost through fasting and prayer. That we committed ourselves to loving our neighbor through fasting and prayer. Alpine, let's be a people that make this a routine as we seek to know and serve the Lord. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray um, that you help us to break the distractions that are in our lives. We have more now than ever. Help us to see our great need for you. And Father, help us to see how you have called us to live and serve in this community to these people. Father, help us to be a people at Alpine First Baptist Church that wards off against temptation and withholding forgiveness from one another. That with that we fight against speaking ill of one another. But Father, when, if we do, when we do, I pray that we are people that are so committed to your word that we humble ourselves in repentance and fasting. Father, that we not do it to aim to be seen, but Father, that we do it to be seen by you. Father, I pray uh, that this is a practice that we can instill in our lives as we seek to love you, to know you, and make you known. It's in your name we pray. Amen.